Please be seated. Amen. And I'm going to have a little bit of ring going on. Just so we... All right. Think we got it? All right. We can maybe bring it down a little bit. I think George was right. So, over the summer... The, the elders and I sat down, we started to say, what are some of the directional things that we want to do as we start thinking about preaching and teaching? And one of the things we talked about in the summertime was that we should do a series on stewardship and, and wrestling through issues of steward, stewardship. And so we're doing a short series on managing our resources, managing your resources. And as we wrestled through that, and as I personally wrestled through that as we're looking at this, I wanted to start with the conversation of generosity. I think generosity is a pretty important conversation, and I think it's pretty important because ultimately it's something that should resonate from the inside of us. It's less about how quickly I'm to give something away or how much I'm constantly trying to give, but rather I think it felt focuses more on the internals of what's going on inside of us and the way in which we choose to live, the attitude with which we choose to live, the motivations with which we choose to live. So I'd like to spend some time walking through that. But before we jump into those things this morning, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll just have some, I think, fun with this conversation. Let's go to the Lord. Father, I just want to say thank you so very much this morning for your, Father, for the chance we had to sing. And Father, I, I think of this last song and Father, I think about the reality at times that there are things, there are times in life where we wonder what you're doing. And even when we don't always see what it is you're doing, we don't, don't always see your hand, we don't always hear what's going on, we can rest with the confidence that you are at work. And Father, even as we will step into this series on stewardship and, and look at things with stewardship, Father, I just ask that you would guide our time. In particular today, Lord, as we talk about the conversation of generosity, just guide our thoughts and guide our attitudes. Father, we want the character of Christ, your character, to flow out of us and to be reflected in us. So, Father, I ask that you would guide our time. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when I think about issues of generosity, one of the things I want to start with is the fact that God is generous. And that should be our starting point. It should always be our starting point. Let's first ask the question, what is God like? Who is God? And then we would come back and say, "Then, okay, now how does that reflect on us? How does that impact us? How does that impact how we should choose to live? How does it impact maybe the attitudes we have? All of the other kind of stuff. But let's begin first with the whole conversation about the fact that God is generous. And I want to go back. I'm going to go back to Genesis. I, I like the whole conversation here. Then we're going to go to 2 Corinthians for a moment. Then we're going to go to Ephesians, as you see. But let's go to Genesis, because I like what's going on here in Genesis. And when we get to Genesis, we see the whole creative process. Then it says, Then God said, Let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock creatures that crawl, and wildlife of the earth according to all their kinds. And it was so. God, so God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. 
Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Evening came and then morning, the sixth day. Now, you would ask the question, maybe, why would I pick that? I'm going to go to one more verse here in, in Genesis, and then I'm going to explain my, my thought process. It says then, and you go to chapter 2, it says, And God formed the garden Eden in the east, and there he placed the, the man he had formed. And it says, the Lord, God called, the Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food. So he, I just want to pause there. He didn't say most, didn't say a bunch. He said every. So think about all the fruits and stuff that you like. All that stuff that grows on trees, all of that stuff was in the garden. Now, where, do I, where am I coming from? What's driving some of the thought process? I think about the generosity of God. In life, we wrestle through things and we ask the question, do you have what you need? Do you ever ask that question? Sometimes as a parent, you look at your kids and you say, do you have the things that you need? Are you provided for? Are you cared for? And sometimes you say, well, sometimes I like to do, if you could have a little bit of extra, I'd like also for you to have a little bit of extra. And we want to try to do some of that little bit of extra. So when I think of the creative work and the creative process of God, he's, he is creating. And you ask the question, what is the purpose of his creation? What is the goal? What's the pinnacle of his creation? The goal and the pinnacle of his creation is the creating of Adam and Eve. And God created Adam and Eve, and everything else surrounding the creation of Adam and Eve is prelude, but it points to, and it's about what God is seeking to do with Adam and Eve, because God is seeking to create an environment for Adam and Eve to live in. Now, some of you have fish tanks. And you go to the store, and you, you get some fish, and you have a conversation with the person about getting a fish. And you start to ask the question about the size of the tank you should put your fish in. And as you start to ask the question about the size of the tank, you, you, you kind of wrestle through, well, how big of an environment do I want my fish to be able to swim in? Do I want the 10-gallon tank? Do I want the 30-gallon tank? Do I want the 500-gallon tank? Do you say, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm getting one of those, I'm getting a goldfish. It needs a thousand gallon tank. I'm just getting a goldfish, but it needs a thousand gallon tank. Now you pause for a second and you go, okay, Andrew, you're going a little over the top. Here's what I want you to kind of look at and think about. God created, and God was creating all of everything to place man and woman in the garden. He was doing the creative process to have a relationship, but we were the focus of that creative process. What size tank did God create? See, God didn't create a five-gallon tank or a 10-gallon tank. And I would suggest to you that God didn't even create a thousand gallon, gallon tank. 
You start to look around our world and you see the vastness and amazingness of our world and it blows you away. I grew up in a country. My folks had five and a half acres. I thought that was great. Across the street, I grew up... So New Jersey comes to a point like this. And you have High Point Mountain right at the very tip of that point. Well, I grew up just to the right of the top of the tip of New Jersey. And I grew up in New York State, but on the New York side of High Point Mountain. And I could look across the valley and I would see Vernon Valley Great Gorge Ski Resorts at night and but look across the valley. Across the street from my house was woods. You could go up and over the mountain all the way down to Port Jervis and I could do that without coming to a single house. Thousands of acres of space. It was great. So you ask the question, how much space do you need? How much space do you want? How much space did Adam and Eve need? God made them a garden, but it ultimately was going to flow over into all the world, and he told them to fill the earth. It was huge. I want you to think about the generosity and the over-the-top kind of abundance-ness that God was functioning in. But it does not stop there. So next time you stop along the road on a really dark highway when there's no street lights and no other lights, take that time to look up at the sky and if you get to be in the right spot, you get to see the Milky Way. And you start to see this amazing expanse of the universe that God placed us in. And as you start to look at the stars and you start to look at all that stuff that's around us, you start to realize that we are in this amazingly huge galaxy where it's kind of like this spiral thing that's spinning out and we're kind of out here on the edge of it a little bit and we get to, we're kind of in this cool spot so that as we hit, hit it right and we, we get to kind of look into the, to the, into the galaxy, we, we see this plethora of stars that are there and it's like, whoa, it's beautiful, it's amazing and, and it's huge. And then you also start to realize that some of the stars you see aren't stars. They're other galaxies. They're just so far away, they don't show up as the bunch of stars that we see when we look at the Milky Way. They show up as just a single dot. And then you start to realize as scientists have develop telescopes and they start to look around that there's so much stuff that we don't even see because there's not like one or two or a couple there's bunches and bunches and thousands of galaxies and we're talking about a universe that's this massively incredibly huge so how big of a fish tank did God need to make for Adam and Eve And you realize it's huge. 
It takes that thousand gallon, thousand gallon fish tank for our goldfish and it blows it out. It makes that thousand gallon fish tank for our little goldfish seem like child's play. Little child's play compared to the amazingness of what God has done. The vastness of what he has created. And I want you to start to think about a little bit how God functions and how God operates in some of this. Because God did not give us just enough. God is is not saying, I'm going to give you just what you need. He made something massive and amazing. And he created variety. And when he placed them in the Garden of Eden, he didn't say, okay, I got you a cherry tree, I got you a couple apple trees, I got an orange tree and a plum tree. They're over in the corner over there. No. Anything and everything that's going to grow on a tree, he planted in the garden. He did, he made amazing, it's all, it was all there. All that stuff that's going to grow, it was there. Way more than they needed. I want you to think about the generosity of the way that God functions and the way that God has chosen to interact with us. It blows me away. God thinks very differently, but he thinks with generosity. He thinks toward abundance with us. Now, I have quoted this verse a bunch of times, especially lately. I've gone back to this verse. And you know what verse is it? There you go. I say it a lot. All right. Thank you, Royce. I saw Grace sitting there. I was going to say it, but she didn't want to talk out loud. Um, Correct. 2 Corinthians 5.21. I have used this a lot, and I point to this verse a lot. I love this verse. Again, one of my favorite verses. Why? So let's look at it. He made, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Again, this is a verse that just talks about this amazing generosity of God. It's huge. I don't fully understand why. I guess certain things I do, but God has impressed upon my heart often the flawedness of Andrew Brown. And it blows me away that he loves me and he has forgiven me. Not of a bunch of stuff, not of most stuff, but of everything. Everything. Things that I want to fess up to and things that I don't always want to fess up to. All of it forgiven. And again, 
issues of generosity. Now we talk about mercy and grace. And we see that connected here. Mercy is giving us, mercy is withholding from us what we do deserve and grace is giving us what we don't deserve. And we see those two phrases and two words being used in scripture fairly frequently. Talk about God's reaction and his response to us. And again, amazing words and aspects of God's incredible, gracious generosity to us. Generosity in choosing not to have us receive the consequences and the things we do deserve. And then generosity on the flip side of lavishing on us or giving to us things that we absolutely do not deserve. Amazing generosity. God has been crazy, crazy generous toward us. Now, another verse that you, you, we look at, Psalm 103, verse 12. What's it say? As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, this is what I like about, because this is, this is talking about a line. Now, in our world, we kind of think of the globe and we see we have, the, we have the west and we have the east and all that kind of stuff. But anytime... In our world, when can you stop traveling east? When can you stop traveling east? Never. You just keep on going. Now, you might get back to where you started, but you can always keep on going east. But when it's on a line, same thing, by the way, going west. You can keep on traveling west, okay, and you never stop. But when you put it on a line and you have that straight line, when does east connect with west? It doesn't. And so when you have that line, we're going back to math class, and you have that line that's going out, when does that line going east stop, and when does that line going, I don't know if I've got my numbers right, maybe I'm south and north, maybe I should be like this, east and west. Is this this better? Okay. So when do they stop? They don't. And again, you think about the generosity of God. He's removed our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. Huge generosity, particularly in light of the fact that we are super, super guilty and worthy of judgment, but he has taken all the evidence and he's removed it from us as far as the east is from the west, and he, instead of having us sitting there in judgment, he's placed his righteousness on us so that we're not guilty, but rather we're found righteous. It's crazy and it's generous. God functions with generosity, but we're not done. Another part of verses that I recently shared with you again, that again, verses that I super, super love, and I love the language, the language. Now, I like it particularly as it says it in the NIV, so they have the, have the NIV here for you. But I love the particular language that is used here. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with many spiritual blessings in Christ. Is that what it says? He's blessed us with some. No, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
He's gone to the cupboard and he's emptied the cupboard. He said, okay, what is in here for everybody? He says, I'll give them a little bit of this, a little bit of this, and a little bit of that. How does that work? No. He said, okay, guys, empty the cupboard, put it in a bag, and send it on. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's generosity. It's it's an attitude of abundance towards others. It's an attitude of abundance toward us. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance to the riches of God's grace. Now pause for a second. How rich is God's grace? Does God have like shallow pockets or deep pockets? What kind of pockets does God have? Oh, he's got deep. And, and, and anyone who thinks in, this, in our context of our world that thinks they've got deep pockets, they don't compare to the pockets that God has. God's got deep pockets. But he's not done. According to the riches of God's grace, and I love this next verse, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. So we had fun this Christmas season. And so when Daniel was here with his girlfriend and her family, one of the things that we did is we had a cookie decorating night just to get to know each other and to do all that kind of stuff. We had fun decorating cookies. It was fun seeing some of the difference. You know, some of us were putting icing on cookies and others were putting icing on the cookies and, you know, kind of putting the, the proper amount. Okay, you know, you have your, you kind of put that veneer on and you kind of decorate it a little bit and you maybe put some stuff on and it looks good. It still tasted good. But Kyle in particular, I just love what Kyle did. He didn't put a veneer. He took it out and he packed the icing on. <laughs> okay. His, his response was, I want to taste the icing. I'm not sure he wanted to taste the cookie. <laughs> okay. You know, so the icing was maybe not quite as thick as the cookie, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't conservatively put on. It was lavishly put on. And I love the word lavish. And what does God do? Out of his abundance, out of his riches, out of the deep pockets of what he has for us, he has lavished us with his wisdom and understanding, his goodness and his grace. I love the language that is being used. And this is language of generosity. He's not saying, I got a little bit for you, but I'm going to keep you kind of begging back. No, he has lavished it on us. Amen. But we keep on going. It goes, 
He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. He came to us and he says, I am going to let you guys in on some things that not everybody has understood. And he's told us the secrets. We keep on going. Verse 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is, the, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You get the, the hugeness of what's going on here? We've received the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, oftentimes, we kind of hear that and we go, okay, that's cool. That's, but we kind of, in many ways, sometimes kind of downplay that. And it's like, it's cool. It's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm reading. It's really kind of cool. God is saying to you, I am taking up residence with you. I am giving you my spirit. When, and again, we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. And uh, do I fully understand it all? I don't fully understand it all. But what I do know is that God is giving himself to us in a totally unique and amazing special way. And he is taking up residence and communing with us himself. He's, he's he's, he's, He's not doing this. But he's doing this. He's enfolding us and drawing us to himself. He's wrapping his arms around us and telling us, you are mine, I am yours, I love you. And and we are in this journey together and I have got your back. And in the journey of life, I want you to know that I'm watching over you, I'm with you, I'm here, and I am going to usher you into heaven where we will be together forever. And, and, and that's what God is doing with us and for us if we're in Christ. It's not holding back, not doling it out carefully and in in conservatively he's being rich and generous as we think of the conversation about generosity I want us to first understand that God is incredibly generous he has not been stingy. He has, he has not been conservative or reserved. He has been bold. He has been abundant. He has been free in his giving. That's huge. Because as we start to wrestle with issues of generosity, then in our own attitude, in our own thought process, in the way that we interact with things, and in the way that we interact with God, I think it's incredibly important for us to recognize and understand and start to process the reality of how generous God is to us. Now, Walking with God. 
leads us towards generosity. Why? Let's look at this verse here first, and then we'll answer the why. It says, the wicked, the wicked person borrows and does not repay. Ever have that happen to you? But the righteous one is gracious and giving. Very different attitude going on here. The person who is wicked, the person who is far from God, is the taker. The person who is far from God is presented here as the one who was the consumer. The one with the handout. The one who's working the angles. On the flip side, the righteous one is gracious and giving. Why? I would suggest to you again, because part of the goal of our journey, as we start to walk with God, as we come into a relationship with Jesus, the goal of our journey is to become more and more like Jesus, to be transformed after the image of Jesus. The goal in our journey is to become more and more like who God is. And if we are in our journey seeking to become more and more of who God is and what God is and like God, it would stand to reason that since God is so generous and since God is so giving and since God reacts and interacts with others in such an abundant way, it would be natural for us to start to see and experience that shift start to take place inside of our being. Why? Because we're starting to reflect more and more the character of Christ. We're starting to reflect more and more the character of who God made us to be. And when you look at our world and you see people in our world who tend to be generous, remember this, we were made in the image of God. Sin in the garden flawed that image and distorted that image, but we were made to reflect the character and the image of who God is. And part of the nature and character of God is generous. It would be very natural and it's very appropriate that as we become more like who God is and as we allow the work of God in our life to shape us and transform us, it's natural and appropriate and expected that we would start to reflect his characteristics, his attitudes, his behavior more and more. So we would become more generous as well as other things on that list of who God is. And so you look at this And you say, the wicked person borrows and does not repay. Got that? That's logical. But the righteous one is gracious and giving. Yep, got that? That's also logical. Because why? Because they're more righteous. They're more like God. They are reflecting the characters and the qualities and the characteristics of who and what God is. Yep, kind of follows pattern. So, walking with God leads us toward generosity. I wrote this note here. It's not on your notes, but I wrote this for myself. Just listen to this. I said, generosity does not come from wealth. It flows from one's spirit. Generosity asks, how can I bless others with with the resource I have at my disposal? It does not ask, now that I've got a lot, what can I do with it? 
Rather, generosity flows and says, God, how can I be generous and good with what you've placed in my hand? It's not a question of wealth. It's a question of the what God is doing in the spirit of who you are. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I love, I love the, the parable of Jesus when he's looking at the people that are giving and the woman who comes in. You have all these people dropping big bags of money, big bags of money, big bags of money. And then this woman comes in and puts in almost nothing. But Jesus calls her out in a positive way and says, she's given more than all these guys. Why? Because they have given out of their abundance, but she's given out of her lack. But that attitude of generosity was still present, even though she didn't have much. I skipped some verses on the guys back there, so let me go back to those verses in Ephesians. Because it fits what we're talking about here really perfectly. Nope, I am correct. I did not skip them. Sorry, Tony, I'm making you jump around. I did it to you again. We'll get there in a moment. They're in Corinthians and they're down below. What's the next thing we have here? Generosity is one way we invest in eternity. And I saw someone talk about this the other day, and, and, and I really wrestled and scratched my head on this. But let's look at the, these verses. and let's Look at Matthew chapter 6, and then we'll look at uh, Luke chapter 16. But Matthew 6, these are two different conversations, by the way. Similar things are going on in the conversations. Matthew 6 is a conversation, Sermon on the Mount, Beatitudes, all that kind of stuff. Luke is a different conversation. But it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth, rust, destroy, and where the thieves break in and steal. Don't store up for yourselves, tre- but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, that begs the question, how do I store up treasure in heaven? How do I do that? Now, there's many ways we can do that. But in this context, it's a context that's dealing with issues of finances. It's an issue that has some flow with money. But then we come to the end of this conversation, and he says, Jesus says the same thing at the end of this conversation that he says at the end of the conversation in verse in Luke 16. So let's go to Luke 16. And we're going to look at these both here and we're going to look at them in a moment. Now this is the conversation, the illustration that Jesus is giving with the shrewd manager. And if you've read about the shrewd manager, it's the guy who's going to get fired because he's mismanaged his master's resources. And so he comes back and he contacts a bunch of people and he says, hey, well, how much do you owe the master? I owe him this. I said, okay, give me this and we're good. And he goes to the next guy. How much do you owe the master? He says, I owe him this. He said, okay, give me this. We're good. How much do you owe the master? Give me this. Oh, you owe this? Give me this. We're good. And you kind of come back and the, and the master commends him for his shrewdness. And you go, ah, well, he, he's being shrewd, yes, but he's being devious because he's trying to create his parachute location and he's trying to use your resources to get the next place where he's going to land. Now, the master looks at this, yeah, but I got my resources now instead over time. But he's commended for his shrewdness. And, and then in that conversation, talk, talks about how our world is shrewd with its money. But we aren't always shrewd with our resources like the world is. 
And then Jesus makes this comment. He says, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of worldly wealth, so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. And you kind of look at that, and you pause for a second, and you say, what's going on? And I think the bottom line is Jesus is asking, listen, how are you using what I've given you? And are you using it toward eternity or are you using it for something else? How are you using it? There's a couple things going on here. When does wealth fail? It happens every year. We see the evidence of how wealth failed at the end of every calendar year. Okay, Andrew, where are you going with this? At the end of every calendar year, you usually see someone publish the famous, well-known people that have died. Often on that list are famous, well-known people that died who were young, that were unexpectedly passing away. They got all the wealth, but they're still dead. Their wealth didn't save them. Think of all the all the wealthy people that you see in our world and think of all the famous names that exist. Rockefeller. One of them. Did Rockefeller's wealth fail him? Absolutely. He had a lot of it until he died, but it's, it's, he doesn't have anything now. He's got nothing. He hasn't ceased to exist, but that wealth is gone. It has absolutely failed him. And you can go on to Vanderbilt, you can go go on down the line. Every single one of their wealth has failed them. Because they come to a point in time where it doesn't matter how much they got, all of that wealth is not going to buy them the thing that they want or they need. It's true for us. doesn't matter how much we put away in our rainy day fund. It doesn't matter how much we put away in our retirement fund. We will come to a point in time when those resources will fail us. So, how do we use it? And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of worldly wealth. Use your resources. He's not saying when your money fails so that they welcome you into an earthly dwelling. It's not about here and now. Use your resources so that when it fails, you may, they may welcome you into eternal dwelling. You're talking about using the resources that God has given you to impact people for eternity. That's one of the ways we store up treasure on earth or store up treasures in heaven. 
not on earth. We store up treasure in heaven. That's one of those ways. Now, so generosity is one of the ways we invest in eternity by really asking a question, how do I take the things that God has given me and now use that to impact people's lives, to impact relationships for eternity? We are wired and inclined to use it for ourselves. We're wired and we're inclined to live indulgently. We're being challenged to use it differently. What's the last thing? Our faith stretches us toward generosity. And it does. Our faith will stretch us toward generosity. And I would also say on the flip side of that, generosity and learning and practicing generosity stretches our faith. A couple verses here. Let's go back to Matthew. Matthew 6. So we'll kind of see the longer conversation. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he makes this next, com- next comments that I think are key. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. We're going to talk more about this a little bit later. It says, the eye of the lamp of the body, the, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body is, will be full of light. So Joan and I, Joan and I uh, watched some of Hacksaw Ridge. It was on TV last night. Okay, I don't know if some of you saw that. It was a, a, story, a true story about a guy who was a pacifist in World War II in the mil- American military. He signed up after Pearl Harbor. And, um, but he was a Seventh-day Adventist, did not believe in war, and would not pick up the rifle, was given all sorts of abuse and all sorts of harassment because he was going to be a pacifist. They tried to court-martial him the whole nine yards. And then you see the, 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 the final part of the story. He's injured at this point. Through, these, through the events that ultimately take place. But the military is taking a place in, in the Pacific, and it's called Hacksaw Ridge because of just the brutal barbarism that goes on. And the guys try to take a cliff, and they go up there. The, the Japanese forces push them back. But the main character ends up staying up on top of that bluff, bringing guys to safety, and instead of allowing them to be bayoneted or shot, he goes through all of that and, and saves and, and brings down or sends down the cliffs like 75 men whose lives are saved over the course of this night. But one of those stories is there's a guy who was wounded, blood all over his face, and he can't see. And at the end of the movie, he kind of he goes back to the story and, and he says about the events that took place here, he says, if that was everything that happened, it would have been worth it just for this one event. And he went to this guy and he took his canteen, he poured it on his face and he washed out his face and he washed out his eyes. And as he did this, the guy opened his eyes and he could see. 
And again, the, the terror and the fear, here he is injured, but what really scared him was the fact that he couldn't see. But now his what? He could see his world lit up again. He says, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Again, talking about the issues of light and darkness going on inside of us and it's dealing with the whole conversation of money and how we're going to handle money, how we're going to manage money, what we're going to do with it. And then he comes to this next statement. No one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And again, the context comes into sharp contrast here. You cannot serve both God and money. And so we wrestle with this whole conversation. What are we going to do with the things that we have? Are we going to hold it close? Are we going to be selfish? Are we going to be self-serving? Are we going to be self-indulgent? Or are we going to be generous and rich towards God and towards others? Are we going to learn to practice generosity? Are we going to let the character of God flow in us and build into us and change how we live? Or are we going to allow darkness to control how we interact with life? And again, we we go on to that conversation. We go back to Luke, and we see this very similar conversation going on. We we pick up again at verse 9. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth, so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. If you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with what is genuine? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? And then he comes back to the statement, No servant can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't do it. And I would suggest to you that faith stretches us toward generosity. Why? Because we're being built after the character of Christ. And we're choosing to step, take these steps. We're choosing to walk into the reality of who God is. We're choosing to step and walk into the reality of what it means for us to know God and to walk with God and have a relationship with God. And so as we start to take that journey, what happens? Faith starts to shape us and rechange us and remake us on the inside, building us after the image of Jesus. But I would also say on that flip side that as we learn to be generous, we start to realize that God can be trusted. Here's that verse that I was going to go to back to in 2 Corinthians verses 8, 1 to 5. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches in Macedonia during a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy. Again, you, 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 you catch some of the language here? Their abundant joy. God didn't give them small amounts of joy. God gave them abundant joy. And their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They just love the contrasting language. And I don't think it's a mistake, the language that Paul is using here. But 
they are in extreme poverty. And what did they choose? Again, one of the things we're seeing here is that generosity is not about wealth. It's about the attitude that drives you from the internal components. It's something that flows from out of you from within you. It overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, not because their arms were being twisted, they begged earnestly, they initiated earnestly with us for the privilege of sharing in a ministry to the saints. Why? Because the church in Jerusalem, the people, the followers of Jesus in Jerusalem were suffering hardship. They understood the hardship because they'd been living in hardship. They knew what it meant to be under the gun. They knew what it meant to do without. And so because they understood fully well the hardship that the church was experiencing in Jerusalem, they said, we want to give and we want to be a source of blessing to those who have also suffered just as we have suffered. We want to be generous. We want to be rich. We want to be abundant because we want to help take off the pressure from them just as we have experienced it. We know what they're experiencing. They want to be generous to the saints and not just as we had hoped. Instead, and here's the kicker, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. They were exercising an incredible amount of faith in the Lord, but their faith also drove them to the journey of generosity. Back. As we start to wrestle through this whole conversation of stewardship, I want you to think about issues of generosity. I want you to process through this. I would like, I'd love to just kind of go home and start to chew on this a little bit and say, God, what are you building in me and who do you want me to be? And how do you want me to function? How do you want me to interact with the things that you have placed in my hands? God, I want to use what you have given me well for your glory. And I would suggest to you that God is generous. And if you learn to practice the character of God as it flows through your life, you're going to learn generosity too. You're going to be incredibly blessed by it. And God is doing do wonderful things in you as well as through you. Let's pray together. Father, I want to say thank you again for your richness and goodness to us. Father, again, I thank you so very much for what you have lavished upon us in Jesus. Father, thank you. I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7, Paul writes, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. Friend, what are you putting your trust in? Because if it is anything but God, it will fail you one day, just like Andrew was talking about. But God does not fail, does not abandon those who know him. If you're here and you've never believed in Jesus, never turned from your sin and trusted in him, if something doesn't change, you will stand before Jesus one day and find out everything that you put your trust in has failed you. But the good news is God is generous and gave his own son to suffer and die and rise again so that 
every sin, every act of rebellion has been forgiven and that you can be with him forever. And if you're here and you are in Christ because of his generosity, you have a chance through the resources God has given you to make an impact forever. When you look at the most fruitful evangelists and preachers, most of them, if not all of them, were converted because of the faithful generosity of everyday people like you and me who in an earthly sense did not have much. But when you stand before Jesus, you will find out you had an eternal impact if you are faithful and generous. Like Andrew said, think about these things and pray about these things. And what we're going to do now is the offering plates are going to go from the back forward. And if you are new here, please feel free to let it pass you. But as it passes you, stand and sing. And as we sing and as we pray, think and ask God, how can I be generous? Make me generous. And if you've never trusted in Christ, I'd encourage you, talk to me or Pastor Andrew after the service. But let us pray. God, I thank you for your generosity. Thank you for sending your son to save selfish sinners like me. If there is anyone here, God, that does not know you, they are running and rebelling from you, even if they don't know it. Work in their hearts to see that your generosity and salvation is available for them. Convict them of their sins. Lord, I pray for those who know you, my brothers and sisters. I pray you will work in them and work in me, that we will be generous with what you have given us. Make our lives count. I pray, God, you will work in such a way in this church that our time here will count and matter for eternity. Pray you will bless this offering and work in our hearts. Jesus, I pray these things in your name. Amen.